Would you pray with me? Oh God, as we worship you today, we pray that you would hear the desperation in our voices, hear the desperation in our hearts. Because God, as we worship together in this way, we don't do so separate from the world, but, but bringing in with us all the things that our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our hearts have felt about the condition of, of the world around us. And when we're paying attention, God, it, it pains us and we get a sense of how it pains your heart when you see grief and hurt in the world. And God, we know that that's not your, your design for your creation. So our prayer in this moment is that you would speak truth to us and speak, speak truth to our hearts. Not in a way that's, that, that drowns out the noise, in a, but in a way that redeems this world. So God, would you come and redeem us, your people, so that your work could extend out in, in amazing ways. God, our, our hearts are, are open to you. We sense your presence in this place. Come and make yourself known. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, welcome back to the comeback. Um, again, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. But I play a lot of roles in my life, just like you. I play a lot of different roles in, in my life, right? And I can switch my hats from, from time to time, right? One of the roles that I play at home is the role of the guy who cleans the garage. That's one of my roles in, in the home. And uh, now we're, we're kind of in between times right now. So this is not an invitation for you to come and uh, check out my garage. Now is not the time. But um, actually a more appropriate name for the role that I play is the guy who moves stuff from one side of the garage to the other side of the garage every, say, month or two, right? Um, that's, that's probably a more appropriate um, way of, of talking about this job. And there are a couple of theories about this guy. There's a couple of theories. One of them is that I like to just kind of putz around the garage and maybe get some peace and quiet on a Saturday morning. So I'm like pretending like there's something to do out there. And you know, there, might be, there might be some validity in that. Um, and another theory is that uh, I, I like to just kind of be surprised by the things that I find, you know, because even if I do it, move stuff around once every, every month or so, like I get surprised. I, find, I run across something like, oh, I forgot I had that, um, which kind of leads me down another rabbit trail sometimes, you know. <laughs> it, it happens like this. Sometimes I'll just find a, like a random, completely random box of stuff. And um, it'll have these really strange combination of items in it, like pipe cleaners, um, the Allen wrenches that come in the sets of kind of cheaper furniture that you put together yourself, right? Things like that. Uh, foreign coins. I've got a good collection of foreign coins that just show up in random places uh, as well. Uh, the, the Sonic Wacky Pack toys, like from 2011. I'll find those in a box in the garage with, with all these other strange things. And if you're like me, when you open up a box like that, you're like already halfway to the trash can. That's actually another one of my roles is the guy who throws stuff away. That's another one of my, my roles in, in the house. 
and, I, and I'll do that. I'll, I'll throw it away unless somebody can make meaning of this box of stuff for me. Like, you know, it's a kind of a challenge. All right, you put that, those that combination of things together and tell me what all this means. Why are they in my garage and how long have they, they been there? We'll come back to that in just a minute. But we've been, we've been walking through this story of David for, for the last few weeks. Um, and last week we saw that David was about to be installed as the new king of the unified kingdom of Israel. We got to the place where the previous king, King Saul, had died. And so they're like, this is the moment that we've been waiting for. It feels like another pinnacle moment in the, in the story of, of David. Ever since he was anointed as a, as a young shepherd boy, or ever since he was a, a kind of seen to be a warrior who could take down giants and could take down enemies, this was kind of the moment that had been moving towards where he became installed as the king of Israel. And, you know, he wanted to start things off well, like you do when you start a, like a new job or a, have a new beginning, right? You want to kind of be intentional about how things get, get going. So he wanted to set his agenda and he kind of hoped to set a tone for how things were going to go in this kingdom under this new king. And what the people might have been anticipating when this new King David came was that he might kind of continue in his warrior ways. They knew him to be a very effective and mighty warrior. So they were probably hoping for a quick and sudden defeat of all of Israel's enemies right in that moment, like it would happen right away. They knew that he was a warrior. And so it would have been really easy for King David to kind of ride that, that wave of hype. Instead, his key agenda item from the beginning was the return of the sign of God's presence known as the Ark of the Covenant. It had been like in the back corner of the garage for a while. It was actually in somebody's house. It's kind of a random person named Abinadab's home for 20 years, this, this sign of God's presence. And he knew that they needed to get back to what was true and to focus on the core things that really mattered. And his responsibility as a new king was to unify the kingdom. And so his first order of business was to move the capital of the kingdom to Jerusalem, which was centrally located in this new kingdom. And ever since then, that city has been known as the city of David. So here's how it starts. This is 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you got your Bible with you. Um, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Belah, to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim on the ark, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Now, the reason that David wanted to put on such a big show of this act of moving the ark is because there had been a decline in morale and faithfulness under Saul's reign. Like that's a, that's a fact. Saul was not paying attention to these things. Now we live in a really different time and with a different culture, but I think that there might still be something that rings true about this for us right here today in 2021 America. The research actually continues to show that, that morale is down and that there's a decline in the belief of the God of the Bible. 
In fact, it's somewhere the last, last uh, poll I saw was like around 51% of people in America believe in the God of, of the Bible. And it was 75% uh, about 30 years ago. So you can just kind of see like this trajectory that, that we've been on. And this one might get your attention. Some polls actually indicate that there are more people who believe in Satan than believe in God. And if you're just kind of like a random observer of things that are going on in the world and you're not already a person of deep faith, you might kind of get that. You might say, well, it just looks like darkness is winning. So what do we do when it looks like darkness is winning? David faced a really similar situation in his day. So he wanted to restore an awareness of the presence of God that seems to have been lost among God's people. So as recorded now in 1 Chronicles 13, so different, different book of the Bible, but it's like a parallel telling of the story. David said, let us bring the ark of our God back to us for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. What's he saying? He's like, we need to bring back the sign of God's presence because we didn't even think about it for 20 years. Nobody talked about it. Completely forgotten in the back of, of the garage, in the back of our minds. So can someone tell us, now that we're talking about it, someone tell us what this means. So what is the ark? What's, what's the ark that is being talked about here? If you know the story of God's people wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, to escape slavery from, from Egypt, then you might recall another servant of God's named Moses. Moses received word directly from God up on a mountaintop that included the 10 commandments, but also included these instructions for building a very large tent called a tabernacle. And the reason it was a tent is because they were mobile people. They were moving around from place to place. And so this, this tent, the tabernacle, when it was set up, around the outside of it was gonna be an area for sacrifices to be done to God. On inside, there was a, like a sanctuary area where a priest could go in. And then there was an inner, inner sanctuary where the ark was. It was a large golden container called an ark. And on the top of it were these two cherubim, like angel kind of figures that represented the place where God promised to meet with them. He was giving them an idea of that I will be present with you. And that, that ark, this, this golden box was meant to, hold the tablets of the 10 commandments. Other places of the Bible tell us that it also held a golden pot of manna, like the, the bread from heaven that God used to feed his people while they were wandering through the wilderness. He, he helped them to survive when they had nothing. And then there was this rod that belonged to Moses' brother, Aaron. We hear these, pick these up in different parts of the Bible that this was part of the content of the Ark of the Covenant. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was always meant to represent the presence of God. It did not contain the presence of God. It's kind of an important difference. God cannot be contained by human containers. Not even churches, not even nations, not even books. God cannot, uh, can also not be kept out of any place because of human devices. The ark was meant to hold signs of the story of God's rescue. That's what I listed to you. These are signs of the story of God's rescue of his people. So in a long season of wandering around in the wilderness, God's people could be reminded that he traveled with them even as he was ahead of them preparing the promised land. So back in the book of Exodus, this is where we hear this story. God said, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. So this, this line tells us a lot about the heart of God. It is the nature of God to dwell among God's people. That's in God's nature to be with God's people. 
God doesn't desire to be far off and aloof, but at the heart of everything. So back in those years of wandering in the wilderness, when the tabernacle was set up, it was set up right in the middle of the community. So the, 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 the tribe of priests would camp right around it. And then the other tribes would camp around that, but it was like right at the middle of God's people. Wherever they went, it was at the center of the community. It was at the center of their lives. You know, sometimes we're asked to prioritize uh, the importance of things that are in our lives. And I had a boss, not my current boss, but I had a boss one time that was talking to a group of pastors. And he said, here's how you should prioritize things. It should be God, your family, the church, and then everybody else. God, your family, the church, and everybody else, which is actually a really nice gift because pastors oftentimes get some of those things mixed up. We do on, on occasion. And so he's been really kind to us. But the problem is, if God is just like one thing on the list, even if it's first, then that's not enough. It's not accurate. See, the positioning of the ark in the wilderness among God's people represents a completely different model, a different way of thinking. God is not just first in your life. He wants to be the middle of your life. He wants to be the middle of your family. He wants to be the middle of your church. He wants to be the middle of your, your job. He wants to be in the middle of your neighborhood. So when you're picturing God's people kind of wandering around the wilderness, carrying this, uh, carrying this sign of God's presence, then eventually walking across the Jordan River and into the promised land, you can kind of begin to see this journey. And now we're gonna trace that journey all the way now, fast forward to the time of David. There had been a, a battle that God's people had with the Philistines. That's kind of a common theme you're probably hearing. They had a battle with the Philistines. And there was this, this battle that they had with them that they were losing. And so they got the ark out and they took it out and they kind of put it before them. And they were trying to use the ark as, as a weapon in hopes of, of winning the war, but it wasn't the intended use of the ark. <laughs> So the ark was actually ended up being carried off by the Philistines. So the thing is that it didn't really work out all that well for the Philistines. They, they put the ark of God in one place and then terrible destruction happened in that place. And they're like, okay, let's move it over to this other place. And terrible destruction happened there. And they kind of continued this pattern until at one point they were like, you know what? You can have this ark back. <laughs> you can just go ahead and take that right on back. And so when they received it back, they didn't, they didn't put it right in the middle of the community. They stored it in this guy's house. <laughs> and no one thought about it for a long time. Like throughout all of Saul's reign, it remained in a home on a hill until this moment when David announced, it's time to go and retrieve the ark of our God and bring it back to the middle of our community. So how they're, they're carrying the sign of, of God's presence be, actually really kind of mattered and so they, they went to the house. They went to take it to Jerusalem. They were going to move it to that place. And there was a delay in their trip. They had a problem, okay? So what they did this first time, the first leg of the trip is they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and began to roll it away, which is what the Philistines did when they took the Ark of the Covenant. And it wasn't what God had asked for them to do. It wasn't how God had instructed them to take it. This is kind of like the the uh, technological um, equivalent of putting it on a tractor trailer, you know, like they put it on there, they close the doors and they're like, see you when you get there, you know, to the Ark of the Covenant. But what God had planned for them was to actually carry it, to carry the sign of the presence of God's holiness among them with these poles that stuck out on rings of, of either side of the Ark and to walk carefully as they went and to sacrifice to God as they went. But as they were walking with this, this, ark on the cart the first time, 
one man reached out and touched it as it began to fall over as if God needed him to protect his holiness. And that man fell dead. This is some like Old Testament hard stuff right here, right? Like, because we could wrestle with how fair or unfair it is that this man had to die, but he was not in the priestly line. He wasn't actually supposed to be attending to the Ark of the Covenant. And he wasn't carrying it the way that God had said to carry the sign of his presence. And that kind of threw David off. And so at this point he was fearing God and he was fearing another misstep along the journey. So they were like, let's put a pin in it. <laughs> so they put, instead of continuing on their way to Jerusalem, they put the ark in another home, the home of Obed-Edom. And it stayed there for three months. I don't know if you can imagine this, but this ark has just, somebody touching this ark was responsible for somebody's death. And then they're saying, knock, knock, knock. Hey, can we put the ark in your house? Like you got a spot in your living room for this? <laughs> you know, does the guy have kids running around? I'm not sure, but like kids stay away <laughs> from, the, from the ark, right? Stay away from, it seems like a really scary scene they had to go through, but it was three months of it, of it sitting there, but they didn't forget about it this time. They didn't make it all the way to the back of, of the garage. <laughs> and David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. This is a common theme. When they begin to move the signs of the presence of God, there is rejoicing. In fact, in this case, there was so much rejoicing. It says that David was wearing a linen ephod, like not his kingly garb. He took all that off. It was just like the basic, basic stuff. And he began to dance before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets." It was this exuberant, exuberant scene, David dancing before the presence of God. And David wasn't celebrating the return of a symbolic return of the presence of God. He was celebrating the presence of God with his people being right in its rightful place, right in the middle, without which there would be no life and there would be no restoration. And there would be no future for God's people. Have you ever been through a season where it seemed like the signs of God's presence were lacking? You ever been through a season like that? You're like, can, can I just see? Can I just see proof that God is present with me? When signs of God's presence return, there ought to be rejoicing among God's people who know what they mean. So the dancing in that scene, it actually got David in trouble with his wife, who was King Saul's daughter, if you remember her from, from last week. She was kind of questioning his motives. She thought he looked silly. He took off his kingly garb. He was dancing around, kind of, kind of foolish looking. She's like, why are you a mighty king dancing with all your might? <laughs> because he knew, at least in this moment, that his life was meant to point to something beyond himself and his own throne, and he was pointing to God. And so he said, I did this dancing. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than what you're complaining about right now. Then in what seems to point to or even kind of predict the great banquet in Revelation that, that we read about later in the Bible, David offered gifts to all of Israel. It says in verse 19, then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. That might seem like a throwaway line, but he wrote about it later. So I think it mattered to him. I think there was some significance in that. He wrote about it in Psalm 132, 
For the Lord has chosen Zion, Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling saying, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provision. Her poor, I will satisfy with food. God, this is a sign of the presence of God that they're walking away with a gift of provisions from their God who has never left them, even when they forgot about him. What a beautiful promise with the Ark of the Covenant, the sign of God's presence in the middle of it. Some people wonder, where is this Ark today? Actually, nobody really knows, but there are a lot of theories. A lot of countries around the world actually claim it. Um, there's claims in France and Yemen and Zimbabwe and Iraq and Rome and Ireland. <laughs> a lot of countries believe that the Ark of the Covenant ended up on, on their shores. And judging by what happened to the Philistines, I'm not sure why they're so uh, desirous of having it in their, in their place. But you know what? Nobody knows. And it doesn't it doesn't really matter where the Ark of the Covenant is right now. Why? Why in 2021 are we talking about this Ark that doesn't exist? Because it was a sign of the presence of God and we need signs of the presence of God. It was important. So Jesus, when Jesus came to earth as a man, was more than a sign of the presence of God. Hear me say that. Jesus was more than a sign of the presence of God. He is the presence of God, is now today the presence of God. In Jesus, you can actually be okay with reaching out and touching the holiness of God. When Jesus was resurrected, there's these scenes where he invited the disciples to touch him and he ate and it was like, he, he was real, right? And he said, touch my hands, touch the scars, the wounds. He invites us today, hold my body in your hands in communion. As often as you eat of this, do so in remembrance of me. The presence of God is close. The Lord has chosen you. The Lord desires to dwell in you. The Lord will provide abundantly for you. So what does it mean to carry the signs of the presence of God? What does it mean to carry signs of the story of God's rescue in your life? Like seriously, what are you carrying around right now that points to God's presence? What are you carrying around right now that points to God's power? Like physically and emotionally, what are you carrying? This afternoon, I was invited to go visit a man who has been um, cared for by hospice for, for a little while now. And he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot uh, longer to live. He's just kind of hanging on. And he was struggling and his wife was sitting right, right next to him. And he was, he, was, he was admitting to me he's struggling because in the midst of this, sometimes he feels like the presence of God is just gone from him. In the middle of this, he feels like, how could, how could Jesus forgive me? Because he's sitting kind of reflecting on his life. How, how could Jesus forgive me? Now, he's been a follower of Jesus for years and years and years. But in this moment, he's wondering about the presence of God. So I told him, I told him what we're talking about this weekend at Providence Church. I told him the story of David kind of bringing these signs of the presence of God right back into the middle of the community. And so I was like, I wonder, I wonder if you have some signs of the presence of God that maybe you've forgotten about. So he kind of like looked around his living room 
and like there's pictures of the grandkids. And he was like, man, those grandkids are amazing. His wife is incredible. He's got family members that he loves so dearly. And then he said, you know, I remember not too long ago, I was sitting on my back porch, just sitting there and a thunderstorm was about to come in. And his wife went out to get him and, and she was, instead of talking to him, she just kind of stopped because she could just tell that there was something happening. And he was just sitting there and he said, I just felt the presence of God in my heart. I felt peace in my heart like I hadn't felt in a long time. And I was like, that's a sign of the presence of God that is with you. And so when you're in these moments, when you're forgetting about it, when the pain is hard, when, when, when the sickness is too much for you, like here, this is, a, this is a sign of the presence of God. So I gave him one of these crosses from our care ministry here at Providence Church. I actually kind of had it rolling around in my bag and I gave it to him and I was like, just, let's just let this be a sign, right? Let's just let this be a sign that, that God is with you even when you can't feel it in the, in, in the middle of this illness that you're going through right now. Like hold on to it, put it in your hand and remember that God is present with you. So if you've got some signs of the presence of God in your life and you've kind of put them in a dusty corner somewhere in the garage of your, of your life, the garage of your mind, then bring back the signs of the presence of God and be reminded of what they mean. And if you don't remember, ask somebody around you, ask us, we'll remind you that God is with you. Bring back the Bible in your home it means that God has spoken to you before and God will speak to you again. Bring back prayer around the table. It means that God hears you. Bring back gratitude for God's faithfulness and God's protection in your life. It means that God has provided for you. Bring back prayers of petition for those in need. It means that God actually heals. We believe in the healing power of Jesus Christ and bring back the stories of God's faithfulness and invite God to dwell right there in the center of your life. Bring back the signs of the presence of God and dance as they come back into your life.